Chapter 23 of For God and Gold. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. For God and Gold by Julian Stafford Corbett. Chapter 23. It was midnight. Silence and darkness had fallen on that grass-bound highway that joined the oceans. Not a breath stirred the tall airbait. All was still as death, save for the distant mingled voices of the tropic night. Yet, on either side the way, some two leagues short of Venta Cruz, that reedy pasture might have been seen to nod from time to time with a strange and accustomed motion. Save that, there was nothing to show a traveler that the sea of grass through which his way led him held stranger fish than all the rest of the wide expanse on either hand. Yet so it was, strange fish, both black and white, lay there as still as serpents. For thither had our captain led us as the most fitting spot for our venture, being, as Pedro showed, the farthest from Spanish relief and most convenient for our retreat with the plunder. So there I lay at Frank's side, and about me half our band, cutting strange figures, for Frank had made us put on our shirts over our other clothes, so that we might know friend from foe in the coming struggle. Farther on, upon the other side of the way, was Mr. Oaksham, with Harry and the rest, so placed that he might stab the head of the treasurer's requa while we dealt with the tail. By this order, too, we might use our bows without fear of hurting our friends. Between Frank and me, lay a Spanish soldier fast bound. Our two Cimarron guides had captured him on our march from the grove where we had lain hid all the afternoon. From him we had gathered intelligence which confirmed all that our spiel had told us. Before this Frank had been loath to believe our good luck, thinking so strange a chance savored of a trap to undo us. But this soldier, as soon as he learned who our captain was, was so overjoyed at knowing he would be softly dealt, with that he gave us full knowledge of how to proceed, which he was the better able to do seeing that he, himself, was one of those hired to guard the treasurer. All this, he swore, was honest truth, as he was a gentleman soldier, he seemed to wish nothing so much as our success, which we better could understand when he craved in return for his intelligence that our captain would not only save him from the Cimarrones, but also deal with him as he had with others in like place, giving him sufficient of the plunder to keep him and his mistress. He courteously promised, in addition, to make our names famous throughout all Spain and the Indies if we did this. But I think Frank was not very earnest 
to have his trumpet blown with such false lips. And I noted that as we lay there, he had his dagger ready to curb any desire our prisoner might have to alarm his master when he approached. It seemed hours we lay there in the dim starlight. The tall grass about us hid everything from us but the white shirts of our comrades. We heard nothing but the drawing of our own breath, the beating of our own hearts. Howsoever, hard we strained our fears for a sound of the recuse. In truth, it could not have been past an hour before a path of wind from the northward steered the grass above us, and with it came the distant tinkle of bells. It was a requa from Ventacruz, we knew all of which we had resolved to let pass as only carrying merchandise for the city and Peru. Yet it made my heart beat faster for a while, till the breeze died again, and even as it ceased came another tinkle from the direction of the city. Every man moved to listen better, making the grass rustle, and Frank held up his hand to quiet them. The tinkling died away again as the requa passed down to some hollow, where the sound of its bells was drowned to us. Night is day, on this the most notable highway in the world. As I have shown, the great and rich is the traffic either way in the cool hours between sunset and dawn, when the plate fleet is lying in nombre de Dios, and all the Spanish main is steering with the life and hopes and fears it brings. It was natural, then, to hear on the round stones with which years ago Pizarro have paved the way the clatter of a horse's feet coming up from Venta Cruz and mingling with the rise and fall of the distant tinkling as the sound drew near Pedro, who had been lying with his head pressed against the ground crawled towards us like a snake. It is a caballero, whispered he. How do you know that? says Frank. I can hear he has a page boy running at his stirrup, answered the cimarron, whose ears seemed to turn to eyes in the dark. It is easy to hear on the hard road. Listen. Well, whatever he be, let him pass, said Frank for so we had determined. Yet very gladly, I think, would Pedro have made a dash at the gentleman's throat. On came the horse at the gentle trot till, when he came about opposite Mr. Oxingham's party. We heard a plunging, as though he had taken fright at something, and immediately after he dashed past us at a false gallop on the way to the city. Why has he changed his pace? said Frank quickly. For no reason that I can tell, said Pedro, unless the others showed themselves. They can never have been so mad, said Frank, and yet I think he must have seen them. Did the page come by us? No, answered Pedro. Did he go back? asked Frank. I could not hear said the Cimarron. Surely they must have shown themselves, said Frank. 
yet there is nothing for it but to lie still and wait. I thought of Sergeant Culberin and his aguardiente, but held my pace. Silently, we lay again listening breathlessly to the sound of the galloping horse dying away in the distance towards Panama and the growing clamor of the bells on either hand, not knowing how far we were descried and being wholly unable to find out. Had the horseman seen anything and would he warn the recuse of their danger? As we listened, the full juggling of the mule bells ceased and gave place to a fitful tinkle. It was now the sound of mules at a standstill, which shook themselves or tried to lick the places where the flies had galled them. Faint cries of impatient men mingled with the broken sound, and at last we could not doubt but that they had stopped. Frank and Pedro looked at each other blankly. They have surely been warned, said Pedro. Still, we must wait, said Frank, with his stern look settling hard on his resolute face. It is in God's hand. Peradventure the gold was well gotten by this treasurer, and it is not his will that we should take it from him. With this cold comfort, we had to content ourselves and listen again. Very soon the bells towards Venta Cruz pealed full again, and in a few minutes Pedro knew they were returning. Our wits were now wholly bent towards the city. Would they come on and trust to the treasurer's guard? That was all we could ask ourselves. The answer came before many minutes were passed. Again the full jungle broke the stillness. They had moved again, as loud as ever it sounded, and our hopes beat high, but only for a short space. Lower and lower sank the sound, till we could hardly hear it. Pedro whispered to Frank, who held up his hand to calm some who had half risen, hoping for an order to pursue. It was plain they were fast losing patience when suddenly the faint tinkling waxed again, till it burst out with a full-toned peal not half a mile from us. Then I knew it was but a deep hollow in the road that had kept the sound from us. Louder and louder it grew, till we could hear each bell sweet and distinct, for the Spaniards loved to have them strong and full-toned, for comfort of their long and dreary marches. I saw Frank's whistle, on which he always gave us the signal to attack, glistened in the starlight as he pulled it out. I drew my rapier silently. Now we could hear the men cursing their mules and beating them, as though they were in hot haste. Now they were abreast of us. Still we steered not. Mule after mule, we could hear go by, almost deafening us with the clang of their bells, though not a hair could we see in our dark lair. A whole train so passed, and then came another. Now was our time. The whistle gleamed at Frank's lips, 
I gripped my hilt hard. Shrilly went up the signal, clear above the jangling bells. In a moment, we were on our feet, rushing through the grass breast high on two full trains of mules. Whether there were soldiers, there we could not tell, yet no armor could I descry. There was no time to think. Already I heard Mr. Oxenham's voice shouting to the leading carriers to step, and we were amongst them. Everyone knocked over or seized the man in front of him. I rushed with Frank to the rear to stay any man escaping. We knew our other company had stepped the front recua, for the mules all began lying down, as if they want when they are halted. They were soon all stretched peacefully in the way, and it was all over. Not a sign of resistance was there. We hardly knew what to make of it. There was not a Spaniard in all the train, much less a treasurer and his daughter. Hold that false Spaniard fast, Jasper, cried Frank. If he has deceived us, as I fear he has, he shall rue the day. So I clung to my charge, the prisoner we had brought along with us, while the rest made discovery of our capture. Bale after bale they cat, but no treasure was to be found, nothing was in them, but victuals for the fleet. Frank sent for the chief carrier to learn where the gold was, as we had little time to spare, and then we knew the worst. Ah, most worthy Caballero, said the chief carrier, who seemed a very tall, sensible fellow. They have played you a trick, for which none is to blame but yourself. But was not the treasurer of Lima to pass first tonight? asked Frank impatiently. Since you know that I will tell you all, answered the man, sure enough, he was to come with all his gold and family and jewels, but halfway, hither a caballero met us in hot haste, saying he had seen something alive, half white, half black, rolling in the grass, and he feared there was danger. So he urged his excellency to turn back and send on the vital request to try and spring the trap, if there was one. We have done it and crave indulgence, since it was but our orders, noble captain. I saw Frank's face darken with anger in the flare of the torches we had now kindled. He turned quickly from the muleteer to us who stood by. Mr. Oxenham, said he sternly, in a firm low voice, it was one of your company that spoiled all, for it was ere he reached us that this discreet gentleman changed his pace. What does it mean? Sergeant, said Harry, who now stepped forward, report yourself for punishment. Very unsteadily, the poor sergeant came up and gave a reeling salute. He was plainly very drunk, yet to judge by his melancholy face, sobered enough to know what he had done. I could not help it, Captain Drake, blurted the unhappy man. 
I have not seen a horse for nigh on a year. I could not choose but to look when I heard him come. I would have been well, but the Cimarron, who was with me, jumped on my back to pull me down. And so we rolled over, and the enemy's horse descried us. Enough, said Frank sharply. You are a fool, and shall smart for your fully, but not now. We have other work. Go, you are Mr. Waldiff's prisoner. With another salute, a little more steadily, he faced about and withdrew. Crestfallen, beyond all words, I could see Frank was consumed with anger. But yet he gave it not rain, for he had need of his calmness. That we were thus disappointed by the folly of one of our own company was but enough when we had come so near to so great success. But there was worse beyond. Our case was a very desperate one. That was plain. We had failed, and nothing was left us but to escape as quickly as we could to our ships, or at least the forest, ere the Spaniards could gather a force to attack us. How far they had discovered us was our only doubt, and Frank again questioned the muleteer to find out what they knew of our numbers. Nay, that I know not, said the man. Yet I am persuaded that unless you make haste away, they will be upon you with all the force they can muster. They have good reason to fear your strength, or otherwise his excellency would have trusted to his own guard. I tell you because I owe them a grudge for making me a cat's paw. But why did he not trust to his god? asked Frank. Why? For good reason enough. What folk can this be? He says to the gentleman that met us. Well, says he, there are only two who would have stomach for this wild stroke into the heart of Tierra Firme, where no pirate has ever dared to set his foot before. I tell your excellency, it is Drake or the devil. Say rather, the devil Drake, says his excellency, and thereupon very easily is persuaded to send me on instead of himself. This answer, after his own heart, brought a smile to the general's face in spite of his anger, and helped him to calmly choose what course we should take. There were but two. One was to return by the terrible long and painful way we had come. The other, the short way along the road through Benta Cruz. The former was the safest, but we were all wearied out and food sore. Moreover, though disappointed of the gold and jewels, we had some two loads of silver to carry. I know not if it were past our strength to attempt it, but I know that desperate as we were over our cruel failure, it was long past our inclination. Pedro, who told us all this, stood waiting for an answer as the captain pondered. I knew what Frank was thinking of, for he presently locked hard at the Cimarron. In success, he doubted not their faith. In failure, could he trust them? This was the last and greatest of our perils. Enough in all 
to have crushed a heart less stout than his. Pedro says he suddenly, still staring hard at the chief out of his wide blue eyes. Will you give me your hand, not to forsake me if I do it? The Cimarron knew what he meant, so did we all. He drew his muscular black frame to the full high very proudly before he answered. Captain Drake, says he then, you and our chiefs who have sworn company, rather would I die at your feet than leave you to your enemies, if you dare hold to it, as I know you dare. With that, they gripped hands, and Frank, turning cheerfully to the company, gave us his resolution. Seeing we have failed, lads, said he, we must even haste back to our ships as fast as we may, from which we have been too long absent already, that we may defend them in case they be attacked, and moreover to let things quiet down a bit till we can try again. For try again we will, since I am resolved not to leave this coast till our voyage be made. Well, there are two ways back, one the long and weary track by which we came, the other short and quick, but it lies through Ventacruz. He paused a moment to see the effect of his words, which seemed to catch the breath of those who listened, and they looked from one to the other as he went on. By the long way half of us will drop with fatigue to be picked up by Spaniards. The short way is easy along the high road. The mules will carry us as far as the town. And then, all we have to do is to force a passage. I am for the short way. Who is for the long? Not a man spoke, half of them being still breathless. I think, at the thought of this desperate expedient, had any other man proposed it, we should have set him down for a mad fellow. But we had all come to think that nothing was too hard for us under our heroic general, and not a man demurred. Then we are all for the short way, cried Frank. Mount then, and away. There is no time to lose if we do not want the whole Panama garrison at our heels. In a few minutes, we were all ambling on our borrowed steeds on the roads towards Venta Cruz, silent and oppressed with thinking of our forlorn attempt, yet each desperate and resolved to do his best. So we continued till within a mile of the town, where the road entered the forest again. A very perilous pass it looked, and Frank called on us to draw rein. The road was but from ten to twelve feet wide, and on either side a dense wall of tangled boughs and vines, reaching high above our heads, as thick as any well-kept Kentish hedge. For in that land the growth of the woods is so fast and rank that were it not that men were always at work shredding and reading the way it would be altogether lost and overgrown in one year. This constant cutting had made the leafy walls on either hand as dense, as I have said, so 
that a man could hardly push through them without hurt. Just as we drew rein, I saw dimly, from where I rode in front with Frank, that our two Cimarrones had stepped about half a flight ahead of us. We drew near, and saw they were snuffing the air through their widely distended nostrils like hounds. Small shoot in the woods, they said as we came to them. Well, says Frank, can you see them? No, said the elder Cimarron, but we can smell their matches. It is sure the wood is full of them on either hand. We could neither see nor smell anything, but doubted not it was this strangely gifted man had said. The Spaniards had been too quick for us. They were ready. Clearly, it was to be no nombre de Dios affair again. What is to be done? said I. Why, go through with it, said Frank. Now, lads, the wood is full of harquebusiers in ambush. We must force a passage. Hold your fire till their first volley is spent. Then, one old English salute, and at them at the push of pike in the old fashion. Our prisoner and the Riquas were now turned away with strict charge that none should follow us on pain of death. The Cimarrones divided the burden of the silver amongst them, and once more we pressed on. Ho, stand! Suddenly comes out of the darkness, and the Spanish captain, glittering in brilliant harness, steps into the road. Ho, returns Frank, as though the road were his own. Stand and declare yourself, Que gente, says the Spaniard very proud. English, says Frank, blowing up the match of his pistol. What would you... Gentlemen, Englishmen, cries the Spaniard. It pains me to be so discourteous as to deny you passage this way. In the name of his most Catholic and puissant majesty, the King of Spain, I bid you yield yourselves and promise you on the word and faith of a Castilian and a gentleman soldier, in that case, to use you with all courtesy. Most worthy, Captain, says Frank, it is utter grief to me that we are in too great haste to grant you this favor, and are forced to inform you, notwithstanding your courteous offer, that for the honor of her most high and mighty Majesty, the Queen of England, defender of the faith, we must have passage this way. A sharp crack from Frank's pistol was the fitting conclusion to his speech, and I saw the Spaniard reel. Then there was a roar in front of us. Long tanks of flame leaped from the thickets ahead on either hand. A hot iron seemed to sear my leg. Frank clapped his hand to his thigh, and the man on the other side of me fell forward with a terrible cry. Thick and fast their shot whistled by. The Cimarrones had entirely disappeared, and we took what shelter we could. The narrow road was now full of choking sulfur smoke. We could see nothing, but here and there the leaping flash of a harquebus 
or the glimmer of a match. Almost as suddenly as it had begun their fire slackened, and a merry trill went up, trill and clear, from Frank's whistle. We were all out in the road again in a minute. Both strings were singing, and small shed barking, as arrows and slugs went tearing into the dense smoke. Then we knew our silence had done its work, and broke the enemy rustily out of their cover. Shrieks, groans, curses, followed our discharge, and gave us courage to advance, which we did at our run through the choking smoke. Still, we could not come to push of pike. They seemed to be retreating before us. Where are the Cimarrones? said I as I ran by Frank's side. I know not, he said. God grant they have not deserted us. The words were hardly out of his mouth when an unearthly yell arose behind us, and Pedro bounded past towards the town. In a moment, the air was rent with the horrible screams of his people, encouraged, as I think, by hearing us advance. They had issued from the cover, where their horror of gunpowder had driven them. Howsoever, they had feared before. They were now most terrible to behold. Like incarnate fiends, they bounded on before us, leaping, dancing, casting up their arms, and all the while yelling, Yo Pajo, Yo Pajo, in most evil sort, and singing unearthly spells, after the fashion of their own savage warfare. Their frenzy seemed to give them more than human power, and even as they ran, They leaped so high as I never saw before, nor all the while did they cease to discharge their deadly arrows and awful war cries. Whether it were witchcraft or not, I cannot tell, but very soon we were all as mad as they, and ran so fast that before the Spaniards reached the town gate, we overtook many of them. They tried to make a stand but it was to no purpose. The Cimarrones burrowed into the thickets like snakes, and drew them forth by the heels, never ceasing to yell the rhythmic, Yo Pejo! Yo Pejo! Half of the enemy we now saw were monks, who kicked and screamed most lustily, till they were speared by the maddened Cimarrones. Still, a few pikemen boldly held their ground with the captain, and in this struggle a few more of us were wounded. The Cimarrones fought like demons. One close by me was run through with a pike, where upon, so mad was he, that he drew himself along the shaft till he could reach the Spaniard who held it, and then stabbed his enemy to the death. Such a sight of frantic, wanton daring I never saw. It seemed to strike terror into our enemy, for incontinently, with a cry of horror, they fled, and we leaped after them so fast that all entered the town together, sailors, Spaniards, friars, and Cimarrones in one confused throng. We gave them no time to recover their senses, but hustled them clean into the monastery, where we locked them up in a very short space The town was fairly in our hands, and all quiet. Gods, 
were set at the gate where we had entered, and also at the bridge at the other end of the town, whereby we should have to pass out over the river to continue our way. Then we had leisure to look to our wounds, which, though many, were slight, seeing that the enemy had but powdered us with hailshot. The man who first fell by me was the only one of the company sorely hurt, and he died very soon after. Our business in the town occupied us about an hour and a half. Amongst other merchandise we dealt in were above a thousand bulls and pardons which had newly come out of Rome. With these the mariners made more sport than was needful, yet the church and all other things ecclesiastic were respected. We found some women there, moreover, with newborn infants who had come thither, because no Spanish child may safely be born in number de Dios, by reason of its pestilent airs. These were terribly affrighted by our presence, and would not be content till the general went to them himself, as soon as he had leisure, to show it was indeed Francis Drake, who had taken the town, whereby they were forthwith comforted, knowing that in his hands they were safe, as indeed they were, even from the fury of the Cimarrones, who very faithfully kept their word to the general, and hurt no one after the fight was done. Our dealings, though not large, brought us no little comfort for the loss of our treasurer, and it was more heavily laden that when we entered, that we continued our way, after blocking the bridge to prevent pursuit. End of chapter 23